to forsake the, uh, the uh, you grow, is that what we call it now? The youth, the high school. What do we call it? You grow. I got it right. Okay. I was second guessing myself. All right. So if you don't have a handout, uh, we have handouts uh, on the back rows. I think I, we had one over there. You guys may be sitting on them, but uh, okay, you put them over there. So uh, if you need one of those, if you already have one, I know this is kind of, we've had a lot of interruptions, which is great because we've had a lot of cool things going on. Uh, Derek Thomas was in and we had other things happening the last several weeks, which was really good. If you miss all of that, it's worth going back and watching and listening. Uh, interestingly enough, <clears throat> um, there's a project that uh, came in that's not part of Derek Thomas's ministry for more Ukrainian uh, New Testament. So Randy Foster is actively working on that project for another 20,000. So be praying. I should have probably mentioned that in the prayer time. Be praying for Word First uh, as the, uh, you know, the, the volume is certainly picking up uh, in Word First, which is a good thing. But uh, obviously, we've got to steward all of that. So to whom much is given, much is required. So we're Thankful for the opportunity to serve the Lord in that way. All right, so let's jump into this. i got a long way to go, and I'd like to complete this section. I have several sections left of body life. So we're still just talking, just talking about provision and protection. We will talk about the function of the body, the relation of the body, identification of the body, uh, mission and vision of the body, and interaction with the body. Uh, but those are weeks ahead, and uh, hopefully they won't be quite as wordy as this. I thought this was going to be a quick little one-night lesson, so here we go. I'm on my third night. So um, <clears throat> so in this lesson, we're covering what the church is, uh, who's in charge of the church, what's the purpose of the church, why it's important to be joined to a local New Testament church, what's the role of me as the pastor. We're going to be talking about that tonight and the pastoral team. How important is the individual member? Uh, what will you face? Because there will be obstacles and what is the body of Christ? So we've covered uh, already what the church is. And number one, uh, the church is our lifeline and covering. We saw that <clears throat> um, uh, the word church means a called out assembly. Oops, I need to get, I should turn this on. That might help. There we go. That'll, that's always good to have your clicker on if you're using it. So um, I'm going to click through this. Yeah. So the church is a called-out assembly. Um, we've talked about who's in charge of the church. Jesus is the head. Of course, we're the body. The church is likened to a building. Uh, Jesus is the founder and builder of the church, and we have an important role in building the church. And so tonight we're going to be talking about what is the purpose of the church. Uh-oh. You guys have me in pro presenter, don't you? Can we put me? Is it is it possible to turn off the video and put me in PowerPoint. Okay, if you can do that, I will, I will tap dance as we continue on. Okay, so um, what is the purpose of the church? Um, if it doesn't throw everything off, if it does, then I can live with it. I'd prefer to have PowerPoint. So what is the purpose of the church? We talked about that. Uh, point A there is the purpose of the church is to disciple or make disciples of all nations. Um, and then uh, last time we got together, we talked about the need to preach the gospel. Spent some time on that. The fourth uh, point is why is it important for me to be joined to a local New Testament church? And we talked about how the local church basically bouncing off our theme uh, of the fact that the provision comes through the church, right? So the local New Testament church is an important conduit of the believer's provision. And uh, that brings us to the fifth point 
which is where we are now, all right? So we'll get to the PowerPoint here in a minute, but by the old-fashioned way, just filling in the blank, what is the role of the pastor in the church? Um, well, his job is to lord over the flock. No, I'm just kidding. That is not the job of the pastor. Um, so what is the role of the pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, we will look at this together. Um, I do have the mic. And it is on and ready. So would anyone like to read the scripture tonight? i got a long passage here, Ephesians 4, 4 through 16. You, you Can you do that? I'll, bring, I'll run it. You don't, thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Ephesians 4, 4 through 16. Rex is on the, on the mic tonight. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called... In a hope, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Where, uh, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity. Uh, captive and gave gifts unto men now that he ascended what it what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth he that descendeth in the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers Teachers for the perfect of the perfecting of the saints and for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that he henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speak in the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual work and the measure of every part maketh an increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Thank you. Very good. Rex is like, I'm not doing that again. That's a lot of reading. So thank you, Rex. That was very good. Yes, ma'am. Oh, we're back on the PowerPoint. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, guys. So um, this is uh, this passage, before I jump into point A, of course, the, the you can go ahead and talk about the the pastor is charged to feed the flock. But before we get into that, this passage that, that Rex just read, when you look at it initially, you may not see the connection uh, to the role of the pastor. Uh, but sp- I had him read a lot, starting back in verse um, 4 in this text. And I start there because it's talking about one body. And if you cross-reference that to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, many of you are familiar with the passage. It talks about the different body parts. And so... Um, you know, this starts with the body. The body is not the pastor's. The body is Christ's. So when we talk about the role of a pastor, they are just a gift 
Um, and it, you know, we 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 laugh and make jokes about it. I'm I'm, you know, I'm a how's that? How do people say that in jest? Um, you think you're a gift of God or something like that? I don't know. But in reality, everybody. Uh, when I teach on spiritual gifts, which is a whole other set of lessons I got for Wednesday night, but when I teach on spiritual gifts, I actually reference Romans chapter 12 and uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because actually every member is a gift to the body. And so, so many people get, uh, they have a convoluted concept of spiritual gifts and they get all caught up in the um, the charismatic influence in our country, and they totally miss the biblical influence, which is that the gifts are not like, you know, catching a wave of the Holy Ghost walking, you know, lofting across the room. The gifts are you. Every body part is important, and that is made abundantly clear by Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans chapter 12. And so the gifts are us, and the, the gift is, well, what is the gift? Well, it's the Spirit of the living God in us. So when we get saved, we get the gift, the gift of eternal life is Jesus Christ, and he seals our soul till the day of redemption. That's what connects us as a body, right? So functionally then, when we talk about the roles of the body, then there are different members that gift the body. And, and of course, when we talk about the pastor, uh, Ephesians 4 kind of sets that apart for what we do. That's why when we started Heartland, um, I, I, I just drilled for about a decade. You know, we're here to uh, uh, edify the body of Christ, right? It's in our mission statement. We, ex- we exist to equip the saints of God and the Word of God to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God by the grace of God, for the glory of God. All right, so, or for the glory of God, by the grace of God, however you want to say that at the end there, They'll, they can interchange. But anyway, that word edify comes right out of out, out of our mission statement, comes right out of Ephesians 4. And so the for, for the goals of Heartland from the beginning were to edify the body, exercise the body, and engage the body. And edify meant build the body. Uh, exercise means ministry, uh, doing the work of ministry, and, and uh, which is also listed here in Ephesians 4. And engage was uh, was to grow us to the point of engaging in the mission of God, so being responsible. So that's our D1 process even walks us into D2. D2 is about the word and the work. HBI is about preparing and equipping and sending people into leadership roles, both in this local church and in planning local churches and being missionaries. So you get all of that. <clears throat> I didn't even think about, and I, because I was young, and I didn't, I was, I was young. I didn't think about it thoroughly. As as we went down the road, I realized that a lot of what I was saying were the goals of Heartland. Well, guess whose goals they really are? They're mine. They're my responsibility. Those, those are the things that I've been entrusted to, uh, or been God has entrusted to me. If I'm going to say, and I am, I'm called, I've been ordained, I've been sent, I'm a pastor, church planner, whatever, uh, and so I have, those are the things that are on the front of my mind from the first day till now, that's the things that I've got to be responsible for. I'm going to give account of the judgment seat of Christ for how I steward the body, right? So um, it's important that pastors understand their biblical responsibility, and so I turned those around a few years later and said, well, wait a minute. So that, what does that really mean for y'all? Oh, that, that would be better so you could understand what your responsibility is because I'm always up telling everybody what my responsibility is, which is to edify, to exercise, which is ministry, and to engage you in the mission, right? Missions locally and globally, right? That's, that's what I do. And so I build, make disciples that accomplish the mission, and we do that through the work of ministry. All right, so... So, I turned that around. What were the other, what were the three goals turned inside out? Does anybody know? See how much people paid attention. 
Dun, 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 dun. I think we lost some more Christmas decorations, by the way. I just noticed that. Uh, be careful. Don't sit on the back row. It was hazardous. <laughs> um, so learn. You'll remember, some of you will go, oh, yeah, yeah. Learn, right? Live and love, which really, how's that turn? Well, learn is what edifying is, building the body of Christ, learning the word of God, uh, living it out, right? That's doing what we're told to do. And then love is, that's sacrifice. That's, that's really, we grow into that. It's a choice we make. And, uh, of course, God so loved the world, he sent his son, we sent him on a mission. So we go out on a mission. When, uh, the more we're engaged in loving God, the more we're going to accomplish his mission. And that would include missions. Those are also three simple words people can get their head around and kind of process and step through and what their responsibility is. And we're fixing to change that again in the next seven-year cycle. Uh, to uh, <clears throat> know, it's, it's even easier, I think, to know, to grow, and to go. But any, all three of those you know, cute little words all get us back to Ephesians chapter 4. And if you turn them inside out, they're going to put it back on my personal responsibility as the pastor to make sure everybody is edified, and they're equipped to do the work of ministry, and they can engage in the mission of God literally leading people to Christ, growing them in the faith, and get them to maturity so that they can accomplish God's mission and God's power, and being the most beneficial to the body of Christ so we can all collectively accomplish the mission of God. Okay, that's the end of the lesson. So that's really, that's what the, that's what the pastor, that's really the role of the pastor. Uh, but there's a lot of nuances, and sitting out here in this cow field, I mean, I, I learned also coming out here to Harrisonville, I've wrestled with some of the responsibilities because there's, there's ideas of what a pastor is, there's examples of what pastors are, and the Bible tells us not to compare ourselves with ourselves, right? So you really just need to stick to the Bible um, and, and go with that. But um, when we talk about a pastor's primary responsibility, it is to feed, uh, we're charged to feed the flock of God. And so First uh, Peter chapter 5, does anybody want to read that, verses 1 through 4? Not nearly as long as what Rex had to read, so... Rex was a trooper, took on the hard one. First Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. Not going to win any speed contests. Oh, I was wondering, like, is this just dead air? If you're watching online... This is time for a commercial break. Um, so, <laughs> and now back to service. Yeah. Okay. All right. Chapter five, verses one through four. First yes, Peter says, "The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof." not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Amen. Thank you, Jamie. All right, so the pastor or elder uh, has a responsibility before the Lord to feed the flock, right? That's the primary thing that, that Peter is charging the shepherds to do. Now, Peter is a shepherd himself, so he's including it himself, the elders, which are among you, right? I exhort, who am also an elder, right? He was the bishop of, of the church at, at uh, Jerusalem uh, initially, 
Uh, and then, of course, uh, I think James took that on, and then, of course, I don't know who ended up with it ultimately, but, uh, but, uh, but he's saying, look, you need to make sure that you feed, verse 2, the flock of God which is among you. But it doesn't end there. Taking the oversight thereof, right? Uh, and not, and so we don't lord over the flock, but we are to take oversight thereof, know what's going on, oversee it, not because we have to, not by constraint, but willingly, right? So the heart attitude is important. The attitude is important, not for filthy lucre, not for money, but of a ready mind, right? So we need to be minded to do this. So the pastor or elder has the responsibility before the Lord to feed the flock, and he will give an account of how uh, he gave his life for the flock's sake. So we see that uh, Jacob gave his life to care for the, uh, his herds, and it took a toll on him. Go back to uh, the Old Testament, uh, Genesis chapter 31. Uh, you know, back in the day when I was in my training, my, our, our Bible Institute was called Shepherd School of Ministry. And the further I go, I don't think they're using that anymore. I might want to steal that because I really like the concept of shepherd school because you really learn. That's really what you're learning. I used to call it sheep herder school, and uh, and really that's really what that's really what the best analogy for what a pastor should be as a shepherd, a sheep herder. Um, and we see here in Genesis, of course, all the patriarchs are sheep herders. And uh, in Genesis 31, I wanted you, I want to see, I want you to see this example. Um, and just kind of see kind of a glimpse. It's one of the places you get a, a glimpse into what it is to be a herdsman. Um, and in, um, in, uh, in uh, Genesis 31 and verse 38, uh, Jacob is speaking here to Laban, his, uh, you know, his not-so-good father-in-law. And he says, Twenty years have I been with thee. Thy ewes and thy, sheep, or, and thy she-goats have not cast their young, and the rams of thy flock have I not eaten. That which was torn of beasts, I brought not. Uh, uh, I brought not unto thee. I bear the loss of it. Of my hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was in the day. Uh, the <clears throat> I was in the day that the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from mine eyes. Thus have I been twenty years in thy house, and I serve thee fourteen years. For thy two daughters and six years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages ten times. Now, when you read that passage, of course, we, we we're thinking about the relationship between Laban and and Jacob, and there's a lot there that we should and could talk about. But I want I want you to think about that in the context of what it meant for Jacob. We always, you know, we know Jacob's name is deceiver, but actually, if you watch Jacob's life uh, from the time he's with Laban, he gets he gets rolled on. And he's consistently actually of good character all the way through the rest of the, the Bible. Now, his sons aren't. <laughs> his wife's not. But he is. And this is one of the examples of that. Um, there's a reason that he was chosen, uh, because God wanted him to be the heir, right, uh, of Isaac. And uh, it says here that, that in verse 39, right, when the beasts were torn, um, you know, he didn't charge Laban. Laban wasn't going to have it anyway. So he just took it. He just ate it. So like if you're in business, you know, you just eat it. When I was in construction, that's called buying a job. You, you, the most gut-wrenching things you can do is buy a job. <laughs> so that means you spent all that money and material and time, and then you just bought it, and you did that thing for free. So there's no profit. So he ate, the, he ate those things. He just took it on. Um, he bore that uh, loss, as he calls it. I bore the loss of it. I didn't pass it on to you, Laban. I just took it. And of my hand didst thou require it, right? You, you were going to hold me accountable. 
So if I, if I took 12, you wanted 12 back, even if I only had 10. So I raised two more and I brought the 12 back, right? So I took the two out of my, out of my herd. Uh, and, and so, uh, and of course, the point of this, by the way, contextually, the point of this isn't that he's complaining. It's the, they're at a loggerhead because he's left <laughs> and, and Laban is, is, you know, is upset with him. So he's making his case before Laban that, hey, I've been nothing but fair to you, pal. Get off my case, right? And so he's defending himself. And so, and so he says that, um, uh, of course, he deals with the stolen sheep, right? A, a wolf or whatever, or even a, a cattle rustler. I bet there were sheep rustlers back in the day. All of a sudden, there'd be a sheep missing. Next thing you know, that family over there on the other hill was eating pretty good last night. They took your sheep. I don't know how that all went down. But he had to deal with the contending with, you know, probably wild animals attacking the sheep, probably even, you know, uh, cattle rustlers, so to speak. Or maybe he had those UFOs come down, drain the blood. I don't know. So uh, whatever they were doing. But, uh, but he, had, he had sheep issues. And, and he says, uh, on top of that, there was times when the drought consumed him, like he was thirsty. There were times when frost was getting him at night. It was cold, and he was you know, getting frostbit. Um, and he says, man, I just lost a lot of sleep. I lost a lot of sleep. Uh, thus I've been 20 years in the house. It's been like this for about 20 years, Laban. It's been a rough roll. And so um, that is what you see of a shepherd. He was faithful through all those 20 years, through both of his, you know, trying to, to he bought both of his wives, right? On top of that, he had to buy his wives. Uh, he had to pay the dowry and uh, and all of that. So he was a faithful man. So when Peter says, Feed the flock of God. Uh, I, I like that analogy when you look at Jacob because a lot of people, especially uh, in a bigger church, not so much in a small church, but in a bigger church, uh, pastors are kind of like rock stars, right? If you go to a church of a couple, a thousand, maybe 1,500, maybe even five or 600, I don't know, um, um, you can get to the point where um, you're almost like a celebrity and it looks so good. I will tell you, even in those churches, it's not good. Those pastors, if they're a good shepherd, they're probably they're probably bearing the weight of that. And they've got other pastors, a team of pastors like I have, also bearing the weight. I have to have so many pastors because I'm such a wimp. I can't bear all the weight. So, um, But God is good. And so, so being a shepherd and feeding the flock requires then, of course, a, a, a faithfulness is ultimately what I'm getting to. And a, and a, and a good deal of integrity. Which when we think of Jacob, we don't typically think of integrity because the way he you know, got his birthright from his father. Um, however, we forget, right, Esau had already sold it. So it was his anyway. So the integrity lack was on Esau. It was really already on Esau's. But that's neither here nor there right now. So, of course, Jesus, if we're going to talk about shepherds, he is the, he's the anti-type. So if Jacob's a type, then the real authentic, the, the, the real McCoy is Jesus. He is the... Chief Shepherd. Look over in John chapter 10, which bears a study in and of itself if you want to talk about what a, a good shepherd is. Um, we could go on the rest of the night. We won't do that for time's sake, but uh, I'm going to read this as well just for... Well, I'll tell you what. Does anybody want to read John 10? It's only uh, four verses, 11 through 14. Okay. Oh, man. you gonna? Is he going to get it? Awesome. Well, good. Oliver's up. So, Oliver, you read that. John 10... 11 through 14. Mm -hmm. 
And a good shepherd, for the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep, but he that is hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catches them, and, and scattereth the sheep. How many? Thirteen and fourteen. Um, the hireling fleeth because he he is in a hireling and catches not, cares not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and and am known for mine. Amen. Thank you, Oliver. Very good. Good reading there. So, so of course, Jesus is the good shepherd. And he brings up some of the same things that Jacob brings up, right? He's dealing with the issues of uh, the difference between being a good shepherd and, and uh, not being a good shepherd. J- uh, Jacob says, I wasn't in this for money, man. I was losing money working with you, Laban, right? Jesus says, I'm not a hireling. Um, I'm not doing this for money. I'm a good shepherd. I give my life for the sheep. Um, and so he also is contending with the wolf, right? Coming and dealing and, and leaving the flock and rending the, the sheep. Uh, and he says a hireling is going to leave the sheep, but a good shepherd is going to stay with the sheep. Of course, the type of David who uh, staying with the sheep required that he slay, slew a lion and a bear. By the way, David did that in solitude. So there's a lot of fights. If you're a pastor, just be prepared to do a lot of of your fighting in solitude because you can't always share everything. You got to do a lot of fighting on your own, so to speak, but you're never alone because you got the Lord. Uh, and then there's the hireling. He flees, right? But the, the good sheep, he cares. He stays with the sheep. And of course, he reiterates, I am the good shepherd. I, I am. I'll be preaching on that this Sunday, by the way. I am the good shepherd and, and know my sheep and am known of mine. And I've, you, I wish I had the video. I didn't think about that today. But there's that video. You can you can find this on YouTube. There's more than one. But they got these videos where these shepherds, they go out. And you can yell all day long for the sheep. But as soon as the shepherd shows up and, and yells, man, those sheep just come a-running. Why? Because they know the shepherd's voice, right? And so uh, we know his voice because the good shepherd is Jesus. Now, I will tell you this, too. Give your... Uh, yeah, especially at Harlan. Give your pastor a break. But at any church, that you do need to be gracious with your pastor because no pastor, even though they're shepherds, is Jesus, right? Uh, the good shepherd is, I mean, he's all that in a bag of chips. And your and your pastor's just a knockoff. I mean, he's just uh, he's just made of clay. So he's going to disappoint you and uh, what have you. However, uh, we should do everything we can to be Christ, like Christ. We're here in Christ's stead reconciling men to God. So good pastors are a gift to the body. Uh, Jeremiah 3.15, and I'm just going to read this. It says, And I will give you pastors according to my heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Getting back to the principle here, when God says in Jeremiah 3.15, I'm going to give you a pastor uh, that's going to suit my heart to the nation of Israel, prophesying of, of, uh, you know, they've had some terrible kings. They've had some terrible, they've even had false prophets. Right? Uh, Jeremiah is not a false prophet. They're getting ready to go in captivity, and he's prophesying of days yet to come. I'm going to give you good shepherds. What is the good shepherd going to do in Jeremiah 3.15? Oh, they're, 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 going to, <clears throat> they're going to feed you with food. 
No, feed you with knowledge and understanding. Knowledge of what? Yeah, God's Word. Knowledge of God. You don't know God outside of His Word. So a, a good shepherd is going to illuminate the understanding of the flock, whether it's the nation of Israel or the local New Testament church, through the, uh, through the Word of God. They're gonna, they are going to, like Jeremiah, a, a, a pastor after God's heart, is going to use knowledge of right. They're going to take the knowledge of God's Word and give understanding, right? So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To depart from evil is understanding, right? So there's, a, there's, a, there's an admonition. Uh, you see that in Ephesians 4 as well, as in that verse that Rex was reading earlier. It's not just what to do, it's why, right? There's a lot of why in that Ephesians 4 passage. And so uh, I've already kind of accounted for some of that. So the character qualities of an elder or a pastor are very... Where are those found in the New Testament? Let me ask you guys, because you're all studied. I'm going to wait on this one, because I know you guys know this. Where? First Peter. Oh, those are the, that's that's a good passage for all of us discipleship wise. But the pastor and the the bishop, it's called the bishop and the deacons. Yeah, First Timothy chapter three, right? I'm not, for time's sake, I'm not going to run through that with you tonight. But if we were to take the time and look at First Timothy three, uh, there's a companion you can find in Titus chapter one verses six through nine. Uh, it's First Timothy three one through sixteen. You will find the literally the qualifications for a pastor. Well, we can go ahead since we're talking about it. Let's quickly look at that. For, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to tarry here and hang on the rim too long. But I want to. I just kind of want to. I was just going to mention that, but it, I want to just touch on it real quick since we're talking about it. Um, this is a true saying: If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be, and I'm going to get to this in another lesson. That's why I don't want to hang too long on it. But must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, meaning he's not a brawler, uh, not greedy of filthy lucre, uh, which again is mentioned uh, as Peter mentioned that, uh, but patient and not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. So how his house is, his house should be in order. Uh, because if a man, verse 5, know not uh, how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Uh, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without lest he fall into the reproach and snare the devil. So you've got to be worried about the condemnation of the devil with internally with pride, and externally you've got to have a testimony so you're blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuking the midst of a crooked perverse nation. Verse 8, it goes into the deacons. Likewise, uh, must the deacons be grave? And it just goes through not every exact qualification, but very similar. For time's sake, I'll let you guys read that on your own. Titus chapter uh, 1, if you go over to cha- chapter 1 in Titus and verse 6... There's also, it's also listed here as Paul kind of has a condensed version in verse 6 through 9. I'll start in verse 5. He says, For this cause uh, left I thee in Crete, speaking to Titus, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee, as I had appointed thee. So this is a charge he gave to Titus already. And he did this to set things in order, Ephesians chapter 4. These are gifts in the body that are set to help put things in order. In Corinth, evidently the pastors were weak because things were not done decently and in order, chapter 14 and verse 40. So they needed better leadership, right? 
Um, and so he says to Titus uh, in verse 6, If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having uh, faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless, he mentions that again, as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, not, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he's been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine, sound teaching, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. So he begins to contrast a faithful pastor with those that are false prophets, in essence, or uh, your money grubbing pastors. I put a post up about Billy or about uh, Benny Hinn a few probably last year sometime, and man, did I get into a brawl with somebody online and uh, some poor fella. Because Benny Hinn was over, I only I don't get in Benny Hinn's business, but he was in our neighborhood, right? He was over here in Overland Park, casting the spirit around, soaking people, and uh, I was like, I can't, I can't let that go, you know. So I don't remember what I said, but some poor African fellow was on there arguing with me, and uh, you know, just basically, just how dare I touch God's anointed, blah blah blah. What's that? Yeah, right on. Yeah, yeah, touching God's anointed. Better me than God, because when God touches him, he's in trouble. So anyway, um, but it, that you know, there are a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of wolves out there, right? Grievous wolves, and they're in it for the money. And uh, you know, it's a calling. It's not a business. It's a calling. Uh, okay, so um, by the way. When it comes to a pastor, then it's also imperative that the wife and also a deacon, so your wife and kids and your can disqualify you as both a pastor and a deacon, and so just keep that in mind. So it's a tough thing, not only for you, but uh, the kiddos and the wife. They got to bear up under it. So that's why you got to take time to prepare. Sometimes, like our HBI seems really arduous and hard. There's a reason it's hard. Because we're training captains, so to speak, in a military sense. You don't want people that are going to fold. And they got to, it's hard on the family because guess what? Ministry is hard on the family. It's difficult. And it's, it's also difficult just to be not a pastor. So I'm not saying that it's worse. I used to sit under pastors all the time you know, and listen to them talk about how hard it was. I tell you, it was hard on me too. And I was going through shepherd school and working and doing ministry. So it's hard no matter what you're doing. So don't misunderstand me. I know it is because I've been every, I've been, I've been y'all. I'm a, I'm an enlisted guy that came up through the ranks. I know what it's like, but I will tell you, uh, one of our sent ones came to me one time. He says, Brian, now I know why pastors need pastors because there's just something about it, uh, that is unique to the call. Um, and pastors do need pastors. All right. But the, this, this lesson here is about really the, the technical aspects of what the pastor does is feed the flock. But also point B, pastors uh, hold the primary office uh, in church governance, right? So what does that mean? We, when we do our next steps meeting, which is supposed to be this coming Sunday, I'm not sure we got anyone signed up for it, but uh, one of the t- areas I touch on is church government. What in the world is that? You know. By the way, this nation owes a lot to church government. Um, guys like Jonathan Edwards who came out of liturgical churches like the Church of England realized that a lot of their congregation were, were lost people. They were unregenerate. 
because of their, their horrible covenant theology. So as, the, as they began to study the Bible and realized, you know, gosh, we got a lot of lost people here. Uh, they never really dis- divorced from Calvinism, but the point is simply this. He realized that, you know, just because you were born and your parents were part of this church because they were messed up on baptism regeneration as well, doesn't mean you're regenerate, right? Now, of course, you're like, of course not. You must be born again. I know, that's, that's what the Bible tells you. So as they were sorting that stuff out, you know, because they came out of a, a system of a monarchy, right, where the government and the church were completely tied together. And if you went against the king, you went against the church, right? So King Henry VIII was the head of the church. As much of a rascal as he was, he was the head of the church of England. Before that, the pope, the pontiff, was the head of the church. And, you know, both of those men probably died and bust hell wide open, right? They have nothing to do with the real church because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. So as these guys are over here in the New World and they're, they're working through all of this, of course, this is even before the American Revolution, uh, Jonathan Edwards started to work this thing out about, you know, you really need to be born again before you're actually a member of the body of Christ. Like, that's, that, would, that would really be more biblical. And so he started sorting through a lot of theological concepts there that Baptists already understood. Uh, that's why Baptists, by the way, historically are considered separatists. Why? Because they understand the ecclesiastical nature of the body is separate from the government, which is why in this country we have this beautiful thing of separation of church and state, which is now being perverted and twisted to hurt us. But that's okay. I'd rather that than not have it at all. If they put me in my little field and say, there's your spot, I'd rather that and have my freedom there than, uh, than the other. But nonetheless, of course, we're called to reach this world. I don't want to get off in politics. But the issue of governance is interesting because even Robert's Rules of Order, how many of you know that Robert, if you've ever sat in a board meeting, Robert's Rules of Order were developed in an ecclesiastical setting in local, so local churches knew how to conduct their businesses, um, their business meetings, actually. So a lot of, a lot of what, the, what the world today sees as business etiquette or even governmental in the United States, governmental uh, procedure, actually stems from biblical principles and, and working through church governance. And so uh, pastors hold the primary office in church governance. So I just went way up here. Let me come back here where the rubber meets the road. Uh, Ephesians 4.11. Uh, <clears throat> it's very simple. He gave. Let's go back there. I'll, uh, I'll, well, actually, Candace, do you want to grab that one? Since your son did so good, I'm going to give you one verse. <laughs> Good job, Oliver. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Amen. So getting back to the concept of gifts to the body, he gave these gifts to help govern the body. So Heartland is a pastor-led assembly or church. Um, And so though we have a plurality of pastors, uh, the senior pastor or lead pastor is the primary communicator from the pulpit and responsible for seeing um, and following the Lord's vision for the church body. So he appoints capable, it's weird to talk about myself in the third person, but I am just a a cog, so to speak. So I'm super replaceable. God can replace me tomorrow just like that, or tonight if he wanted to. So so the pastor is just simply, um, he he appoints the capable leaders, and, and the pastor is to aid in the fulfilling of the mission of God as he gives the Lord's vision for the church body. Now, 1 Timothy 5.1 does say, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and younger men as brethren. We just talked about this Sunday night. This is the text I'm in on Sunday night. So the senior pastor is the primary leader in the area of vision and direction and assembly. Uh, He appoints spirit-filled, capable pastors or elders to help him in ministering to the members of the congregation and feed the flock. Now, if you were here 
Sunday night, I also believe that 1 Timothy 5 is not just dealing with pastors and elders, since that's very clear, uh, clearly dealt with in 1 Timothy 3. He's also talking about how to deal with elders in the church body. So those are interchangeable as well in regard to how we deal with elders and pastors, and especially if there's a plurality of pastors. HBF is blessed with six pastors and several ministry heads uh, who are godly men and excellent teachers and preachers of God's word. However, I'm the senior pastor, so the buck does stop uh, pastorally with myself. And at the judgment seat of Christ, I will give an account. I'm not saying the other pastors won't either. They will as well. But I'm definitely responsible, responsible. So if we take a left turn somewhere on doctrine, I'm going to be charged with it. And and by the way, we've kind of been through some of those battles, and and uh, and it's it's grievous. And so you just got to stay put and uh, stay on the word and keep going forward. And so uh, it's not always easy, and it doesn't definitely not as easy as it looks. But uh, <clears throat> the senior pastor is the primary leader in that regard. So what about the deacons? And that's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. So deacons are to serve in the stead of, of pastors uh, and are to demonstrate uh, clear character qualities as we saw in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, and I didn't read through them. Let's just pause right here and just take a quick look at those. I'll finish that, that up. 1 Timothy 3, if you flip over there, uh, and I just I stopped there, so I'll pick it up. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse... Eight, yeah. Uh, so we have a deacon telling me exactly where I need to be. Thank you, deacon. So likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, uh, whereas the pastor is no wine. Uh, uh, much wine, not given to greedy, uh, or not given, or not greedy. I'm sorry, or a filthy lucre, uh, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanders, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses as well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and a great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All right, so... So uh, they are to, to, you know, first be proved, it says, meaning they're to be mature and tested in character and fidelity to doctrine. Then they may use the office of a deacon. And so uh, that's an interesting word there, isn't it? Use the office of a deacon. So what do they do? Use the office. Well, what they're doing is, is God's allowing them access into that office. What is an office? Think about that. Those are terms that we don't think about, but we use them all the time in our culture, Right? The president is in the Oval Office. That means he is in a position of authority, right? Uh, you, when you, if you hear the word office and you think of the sitcom, you're going to go the wrong way. All right, so just to erase that out of your head for a minute. And, uh, and so when you're talking about the office, we're ta- talking about a position of authority, right? And so even in a business setting, though, there's officers, right? The officers in, in a, any usually in any incorporated business in any state of the union, uh, and even outside of the state of the the United States, you're going to have officers. You're going to usually have a president or a CEO. You're going to have a treasurer, and you're going to have a secretary. Usually you need three uh, in a a corporation. And and then you have other board members and so on and so forth. So those are called the officers. And in a business sense, what does that mean? Well, they're accountable. They're accountable uh, to uh, for li- like legal liabilities and things like that to the government uh, for uh, IRS and tax purposes 
uh, legal issues that arise. So if there is a, a lawsuit, uh, they, are, they are legally responsible. So if you are the CEO of Enron, which is, I know I'm dating myself, um, and uh, your company goes off its rails and you rob everybody, you know, you're liable as a CEO. You're going to be in court. You can even do, you can do jail time. Right, because you are that liable. So there is a responsibility that comes with an office, whether it's the president, whether it's a CEO of a company, and of course, a higher calling and a higher office, frankly, is the, the the pastor of a local New Testament church. Now, I'm not saying that because I think anything of 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 the the the, the men in the office. It's not the men; it's the actual office itself. It's the office that needs to be esteemed, and uh, and I it's weird for me to say that because I'm in it, but it's true. So I speak the truth and I lie not. The office does need to be esteemed. It's been diminished uh, in large part because of a lack of character, which is why Paul uh, was very careful to say they must be blameless. They must be blameless. They must have a good report of those that are without. Because uh, 20 years ago, if you go back in just Baptist history in the United States, uh, there's a I got a I saw a picture. I forget it. I don't know if, which one of the pastors is Akron, Ohio, I believe, probably Akron Baptist Temple. One of the pastors. He's in the middle of the of the highway stopping a beer truck on... Now this was kind of a PR stunt too, but it was cool. So he's in the middle of the... And it was real. He he stood in the middle of the street and stopped the beer trucks from running, right? And he was, it was all about, you know, uh, you know, stopping that godless beer run on Sunday or whatever the deal was. But there was a time when like pastors in the United States, they had that kind of, that kind of respect. They could step out in the middle of the highway and stop traffic. And people, you know, nobody was calling the police to have them arrested. They were like, everybody was like, oh, pastor so-and-so stood out in the middle of the highway and stopped traffic. We better listen, <laughs> you know. Well, when I got saved, I got saved in a completely different environment. My, my opinion of pastors when I got saved was so low. Like, I was way ahead of the curve. I think I was, like, God made me for such a time as this. So um, <clears throat> starting, I mean, this, I got a long history here. I wasn't going to get into all this, but it's probably educational for y'all. You'll learn a little bit about me. So first of all, growing up as a kid, you know what I heard about pastors my whole life? Nothing very good. Huh? Uh, not so much once your money, but I heard a lot of negative things. Uh, and, uh, and I found out later on why. Because my father, um, he got saved in 1960. A guy named J.I. Willard led him to Christ at a tent revival. And my mother got saved as well. So they were born again. I didn't know that. And, um, <clears throat> and so um, uh, my dad got in the back of a, the preacher's trunk. There's a bunch of, there was a bunch of booze in one of the preacher's trunks. It wasn't J.I. Willard's, by the way. It was a different preacher. Uh, so knock number one. But that didn't stop dad. Um, and so later on, dad was not discipled. And uh, my aunt tells me, my Aunt Joyce, she's still alive. She says he was super zealous for the Bible. Like he would come over after work, stop by her place, and just sit there and ask Bible questions, talk Bible, which I was so glad to find out. I never knew this until after he'd passed. <clears throat> and so, so I'm like, well, what happened? You know, well, my dad told me what happened before he died. So I had to kind of put the pieces together. It's like reading the, reading the Bible, you know, a piece here and a piece there. So what happened was when he was in his young, younger man and, his, and the kids were young, uh, before I could eat, probably before I, maybe even before I was born, um, they worked him and my grandpa like mules at the church. And they built this, uh, they built onto the building and Baptist church, I won't say the name of it, um, <clears throat> and so on and so forth. And then he got on the route to do YFC, Youth for Christ was really started here in the Kansas City metro area. And so he was driving the bus. So that's not like somebody who's not saved. I mean, it's somebody who's serving, right? So he was serving. 
Um, and then it just became a toll, like he was getting burnt out. And one day he couldn't make it because he was sick, the kids were sick, something was going on. And they just put a whole huge guilt trip on him and told him, if you know, if you don't do it, nobody's going to go, blah, blah, blah. And if you knew my dad, I mean, he just, that was it. I mean, and once you were on his bad side, it wasn't good. Okay, so this happens before I'm even privy to what's going on in the world. What was, what's really cool about all that, and I find out some of this later on as, as I ask my dad, what happened, dad? What's going on with you? And so on and so forth. And he told me the thing that he respects is people who actually do the ministry, like get out and work with people. Of course, at heart, he was a servant by nature. Um, and so I wish he would have been in a good discipleship-making church. There's a missionary I knew, or an evangelist I knew named Leo Humphrey. Uh, he reminded me a lot of my dad. I thought he's super gregarious, preached the gospel everywhere, even kind of same frame as my dad. I'd see Leo Humphrey preach, and as I'd look at Leo Humphrey, and I think that could have been my dad if discipleship would have been put first, if the pastors would have fed the flock and made making disciples the primary objective, and not just working them like Hebrew slaves in Egypt, and so. Now, that's not an excuse not to serve the Lord, by the way. I, say, I share all that story just to say it does affect me as a pastor. That's why I put discipleship first, because the opposite happened to me. I was super negative about pastors in the church. Fast forward the tape. So my whole, my dad's getting in, in screaming matches with the church, with the pastor, because they won't marry his daughter. Well, because why? Well, I won't get into why, but it was a morality issue. And the, the, the church was, all they have is that doctrine. That's all he always said, that doctrine, that doctrine, that doctrine. And I'm like, so I'm thinking doctrine's a bad thing, number one. And the church is no good. I went to church and, and uh, you know, didn't do much for me. I saw, I brought my Bible, I was the only one bringing a Bible to this particular church, same church. And I'm like, after a while, I'm embarrassed because I don't know the Lord. I'm the only one bringing a Bible. One of the most carnal kids that I went to school with, um, you know, him and his buddy were getting high all the time. I thought he was just a good time Charlie. His name wasn't Charlie. And then one day we were supposed to teach. They had me teaching. I didn't even know my I literally didn't know anything. I wasn't even saved. This guy gets up and, and he teaches all he knew he knew the Bible from front to back. The most carnal kid I knew. I'm like, how is that? I didn't that was awesome. I didn't even know the I didn't know nothing. So my I had this convoluted concept of church. I didn't know what Christians were about. I didn't understand it. I didn't want anything to do with it. And then comes this guy named, um, and, and by the way, I used to watch Jimmy Swaggart all the time when I was a kid. I can't tell you how many times I prayed the prayer of Jimmy Swaggart before All-Star Wrestling. And, uh, <laughs> and so, because that guy was emotional, man. He drew you in every week, and then All-Star Wrestling. So it was just, I was waiting for All-Star Wrestling. And so, uh, so I, I, Jimmy Swaggart, back in the day, he ends up having a, a moral failing with prostitutes. And then on the heels of that comes uh, Jim Baker and the PTL group, which many of you guys don't know about all this. But one moral failing, and I'm not talking about a little immorality. I'm talking about gross immorality. And I'm just like, what in the what is all this? I don't want nothing to do with that. That's so my mindset on pastors and the office of a pastor, who cares? Car salesman, way better. Because, you know, everybody calls us, okay, used car salesman, whatever. So so you can't get anybody that's more down on the church than me. 
So I finally get convicted enough to go to church. This is a true story. So I finally get convicted because I, even in spite of all this, I know God's trying to get my attention. And uh, I won't get into all the details. And I finally say, well, i got to go to church. So where do I go? I go back to the same church, the same church that my dad was mad at, the same church that, um, you know, was, you know, didn't have any discernment on my spiritual growth or lack thereof when I was a kid. And uh, and that was not on them altogether because I was carnal. Friday night at Barker's World, or Saturday night at Barker's World, and then Sunday morning at, at the church, you know, so Circus World. That was used to be a place to go break dance and all that. So anyway, so <laughs> I know it's hard to believe. I was a different person. So, um, so um, I go into this church, and I did not, and it was Faith Promise Sunday. And this pastor meant well, and he gets up, and he's preaching about giving to your point about being shysters. And he say, and he gets up and he says, if you, don't give to the, if you don't make a decision today to give, you're turning your back on God. Now, he wasn't talking to me. I know, in hindsight, I, I know that, but at the time, I didn't. And I literally got up after the service was over. I was respectful enough to wait. I got up with a clear conscience. I was like, well, this prayer's answered. I don't need to go to this church. All this guy wants is my money. I'm out. And I, I literally told Amy, Amy was with me, I said, God don't need my money, I'm out of here. And so I was it. At that moment I was walking out and it literally, I remember walking this, down the steps going, I'm going to the Roman Catholic Church. That's my next step. Because in my mind, that was the oldest church, even though I thought it was corrupt. It's the oldest church. They get to drink as much as they want, and I'm down with that. And it's religious. That must be where I need to go. That is the true, honest to God story, true. That's where I was at when I was lost. And you could ask Amy, she can tell you, yep, that's where he was at. And within about a month or so, I got saved after that. And God intercepted me right where I was at. And Earl led me to Christ. We start discipleship before I even go to church. So we're working up on lessons three and four. And, you know, every week Earl's kind of like, hey, man, you ought to think about going to church. You ought to think about going to church. And, uh, man, I tell you what, I went to church the first time. It wasn't with Earl. I roll into this church in Lee Summit, Faith Baptist Church, because this couple was witnessing to my sister. So I go to witness to my sister, and she says, this is what they were telling me at work. I'm like, well, that's because you need to get saved. And she's like, well, they want me to come to church. And I'm like, well, let's go. Earl's been telling me I need to go to church. So we get in the car and head out to church on one Sunday. Bam. Uh, a guy named Steve Nunemaker, missionary to somewhere in Africa, gets up, preaches the prodigal son. I mean, it was like lightning came down from heaven. And my sister gets saved. My girlfriend gets saved. I'm like, whoo, church is awesome. And uh, I couldn't believe it. I'm meeting Jesus. I'm meeting Jesus at school. I'm meeting Jesus at this church. I'm like, this is, I didn't know Jesus showed up at church, you know. So <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was awesome. But I still haven't got to the pastor story. So, so. Earl finally says, hey, Brian, why don't you come to... I go the second time, and uh, it just wasn't suiting me. Steve Nunemaker did such a dynamic job. Um, I went back, and I brought my brother-in-law with me the next week. Uh, I know he, I knew he needed to be saved. And he just he fell asleep, you know. And I was like, well, lightning didn't strike twice. You know, what's going on? So I was just really disappointed. And that was just right. Finally, Earl says, hey, why don't you check out our church? And uh, I was like, okay. 
I'm ready now. The Holy Ghost has just been working on me. Again, I'm an anti-church guy. But I'm not anymore because Jesus is in me. And, uh, and so we go, to, we go to this church, and he takes me upstairs. They just built this gym, so he shows me the gym first, brand-new gym, still smells like brand-new carpet, you know, and they put that cool carpet down. You can play basketball on all that. So, okay, whatever. And then we go up to see the main pastor, a huge auditorium. You know, it seats whatever, 1,500 people. <clears throat> and this dude's up there in his powder blue suit with his white shirt, cufflinks, Coming out of his suit, there's TV cameras, lights on him. And I'm like, I can't believe you fell for this, man. What are you doing? This, what a, what a car, I literally, what a car salesman. I didn't say that out loud, but that's what I'm thinking. Because why? I didn't think much of the office of the pastor. I just, I just had this dim view of preachers. I just said, that guy's got to be a money-grubbing Jimmy swaggered up there because I was an idiot and I didn't know what I was talking about. And so um, he takes me down to the gym in the Sunday school class of, you know, at that time probably about 150 people uh, starts, you know, and I'm like, this guy starts preaching like like his hair's on fire, you know, and I'm just like, what, what in the what? I'd never heard anything like, I'd never heard anyone preach with authority. And because I was a blue-collar kid coming out of a blue-collar world, you know, he's up there taking his tie off, and he's, you know, he's he's getting, he's like ready to throw down. I'm like, I'm into this, and it really struck me, and I, I identified with that guy. Ironically, he fell later on, but um, the point is simply this: um, God had to do a work in me personally to even, and He can do this, to esteem the office of the pastorate where it needs to be biblically. One of the biggest stumbling blocks to people's view of the office is the officers. And that's what I experienced. And I will tell you this, I think today there's a lot of there are a lot of good the, the attrition rate of pastors is, is epidemic right now. Um and I think a lot of that's because they were never formed, right? They were never even trained uh to endure hardness as a good soldier. They weren't trained in a militaristic fashion. Because it's it's hard to to deal deal with numbness and cold and dryness and the you know there's there's a difficulty that comes with it that we should be preparing men and women for because it's it's rigorous just like a lot of things anything that's worthy of anything is rigorous I mean it's not just the ministry but the ministry is rigorous and uh, the the need to to honor the office above even the officer is is most important the irony of my testimony and I'm going to I'm not going to get too much deeper into this. I just wanted to share with you I had a very low view of the office. The irony is if I would have known what I would see once I became a Christian in the offices I would I would have never gotten started. Because I've seen worse. A lot worse than my dad ever saw. That I'm still here. Why? Because the Bible the I've been fed, I've been watered, I've been discipled, and I'm not following men. One of the biggest problems in the church of the United States is men get in these pulpits, and they expect you to follow us, not just as we follow Christ, but to follow us no matter what. And that's so much hypocrisy. And you see it. I've seen it my whole life, you know, pretty much my whole adult, uh, adult life. And when I was a young person, I saw it. 
you know, you didn't see Jimmy Swagger bowing out. He'd be preaching today if he could. He's too old. Now his son's in charge, right? You don't, you don't see, you don't, you know, you have these robber barons out here, Creflo Dollar, uh, Benny Hinn. You can just go down the list, all these guys, that one demon-possessed fella. Yeah, um, Kenneth Copeland, right? You just got all of these guys, and they're just, you know, and I'm probably offending people right now, but it is what it is. If you can't see through that, you can't see, right? Those dudes are just, they just, they just, they're not even really pastors. They're wolves. And yet, many people don't know the difference, right? People like I was when I was lost. Didn't know, you don't know the difference, so you get conflated, like we're all this the same thing. And so what do you do? Well, you keep doing the right thing. All right, so, so there's a reason I shared that story. is because the office is more important than the individual, uh, whether it's the office of the pastor or the deacon. In Acts chapter 6, the first group set apart to wait on tables and care for the physical needs of the body so the apostles could concentrate on the Word of God and prayer were not named deacons, but they were certainly setting the pattern of what a deacon was. They were noted for their character, not for the title of their office. Character precedes the, the, the people that sit in the office is way more important than the person. And that's why the person has to be formed in the character of Christ before they have the office. That's why the Bible says, lay hands suddenly all right, on no man. Don't do it quick. Make sure they're proven. Acts 6.3 3 says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the nominees were selected by the congregation and installed by the apostles. They, of course, um, they gave themselves over to, to prayer, but they appointed them over the business. Once they were selected, the apostles appointed them. So they were then appointed to do the business, helping with the widows and the needs of the body. Paul is the apostle who sets forth the doctrine of the New Testament local church and in doing so, clearly identifies the office of pastor and deacon, as we've already pointed out. At Heartland, we select deacons every two years to give them a chance to rotate off if they need to, and many are selected in perpetuity as they fulfill the office faithfully. So our process is very well documented and available if you guys want to read it, and we, I put that out every couple of years. So how important is each individual member? That's a good question. We still have time. I'm going to answer, I'm going to answer that question right now. First um, Corinthians twelve twenty seven says, "Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular." So every member is important. The body of Christ is composed of individuals who have been born again. Uh, my, that says being again. What? Ignore that. That's embarrassing. Born. Yeah, that's what's odd about that is my notes are correct, but that's wrong. So forgive me. Individuals who have been born again. That's right. The underlines are in the wrong spot. Okay. It's not as bad as I thought. All right. So it's still pretty bad. <laughs> so don't leave the church over. I'm sorry. I haven't fulfilled the office very well. So at any rate, um, it's been, been born again. So one of the reasons we identify here at Heartland as Baptist uh, church uh, is Bible believers for centuries have identified the scriptural mandate for the body of Christ to be composed of regenerate members. So long before there were churches named Baptist, uh, but Baptists are noted for that. A person is not a, a member of the body of Christ just because they attend church their entire life. And a person is not a member of the body of Christ just because they're baptized. They must be born again, right? John 3, 5 through 7, Jesus answered 
Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. So uh, we cover that very, I think most of us are familiar with the need to be born again. Um, but that is what composes the, the membership of the body. So um, that's a really interesting thing then. So if someone, we'll get to this later, but I don't want to, well, I'll just hold on that. So if the body, let me move on to point two. So if the, if, if the body of Christ is bigger than any one local church, why does Heartland Baptist Fellowship have a membership role? Which is where I'm actually going. That's a good question. It's a very good question. Many local churches have ceased to have formal membership process, opting rather to acknowledge that all those who follow are members of the body of Christ. You know, if they have a profession of faith, have been scripturally baptized, I guess they're a member. Uh, so while I'm not opposed to that, I don't believe it is prudent for the following reasons. Let me give you a reason why Heartland, uh, number one, I just quickly, we're Baptist because of the historical nature of what when we planted the church, I chose, I didn't have to use Baptist, I chose to use Baptist, frankly, because I knew we were going to be a discipleship church. And putting Baptist on the door, it does create some problems. There was one of our greatest members, he's now gone home to be with the Lord. He's a cantankerous Baptist. That was kind of not who I was aiming for, but at length I'm glad he came. Uh, I went to his house and he sat down and grilled me. And he, he, he was a good guy. But man, I was like, I told this brother, I said, brother... You don't have to come to our church. I don't really think I don't really don't think our church is for you. <laughs> he, he ended up coming anyway. Became a great member, and I love him. He's gonna. I'll see him in heaven. Um, but man, he was tough, and he was old school. It was good. But I was I, I was I did use I wanted to be Baptist because of what that meant the, the history with fundamentals of the faith and uh, some doctrinal standards that I wouldn't have to sort through as much with like eternal security and this, our discipleship would mesh mesh better. If I use Baptist, whereas if I just went non-denom, then I got all this stuff I got to kind of sort through, because uh, Baptists will run some people off just by the name on the door, right? So I was like, okay, so we're starting a church. That way I can start with people I can disciple. It seems counterintuitive because you want to reach everybody, but when you only got a handful of people to disciple with, you really you can only disciple so many people. So that was my mindset, and of course we're going to keep Baptist. Um, and so that historically, though, uh, it it it, uh, it really suits us well because we would be considered uh, Baptist by doctrine. Um, and so, uh, but what about church membership? Not all churches and even Baptist churches do church membership anymore. Well, number one, you want to you want to make sure that um, uh, salvation is established. A membership process allows for that clear communication concerning salvation. That's the pro- one of the primary reasons we have a membership process, which is not necessarily the standard come down the aisle and pray with the deacon guy or the usher and or whoever, the altar worker, and now you're a member. Some churches do it differently. Uh, I, did, I chose not to do that. Um, and so we use a membership app. You can come down the aisle and you can pray with the altar worker, but we're still gonna, what we're going to do is make sure you're saved. And I'm going to know you're saved. I check off every membership app before they become a, quote, member. Now, if you're born again, I, I have nothing to say about that. That's Jesus and you. Good. Praise God. You're in the body of Christ. We'll recognize that as soon as we know you're born again. So if you make a profession of faith, I'm going to take your word for it. But if you can't articulate it, then I'm going to have questions. I'm going to make sure, well, are you really born again? Let's sit down and talk about that, right? And so uh, we had a lady one time come in and say, I've always been saved. 
Oh, really? And then she went through disciple. She was going through discipleship, and her disciplers, or her dis, well, it was a discipler, and then they brought in a, a, you know, what do you call that? Oh, my brain's tired. A uh, reinforcements. <laughs> and there's, both of these ladies are like, no. And, her, and this lady's testimony is, I've always been saved. My mom was a Christian, and I've been born in that house. I'm a Christian. Da, 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 da. And she wanted to be a member. And so they finally came to my desk, and I sat down with her, and I said, well, I'm sorry, ma'am, but that's not biblically how you become a Christian. And uh, so she, I wasn't going to let her become a member. She was offended. She still kept coming for quite a while. And uh, at length, though, she never, I, to my knowledge, she never fully grasped the, the gospel and salvation by grace through faith in Christ and his finished work alone. She was basing it off of almost like a, a uh, uh, what do you call that in, in China, where you worship your ancestors. You know, she was basing it on, on uh, definitely something other than Jesus Christ, meriting her salvation. So, um, so that's why we have a process. I want to make sure everyone's saved, right? And so we also have believers' baptism, right? In, in like manner, members, uh, a membership process allows the leadership to make sure those who are members are not only born again, uh, but scripturally baptized, because you can be born again but have not fulfilled the first act of obedience, which is believer's baptism. So you can say you're born again. I'm not gonna. I'm really not gonna like put a flashlight in your eyes and grill you. Are you really born again? Let me see all the fruits of your repentance. How, how can you jump? How holy are you? I'm not gonna do all that. <laughs> but what I am gonna say is, hey, have you? Have you? Obviously, there is uh, evidence of repentance, change of heart and mind that produces a change of life. And that varies from person to person. So the least they can do if they say they're born again and Jesus lives in them is publicly identify with him and his death, burial, and resurrection. So we say, just obey believers. Just do do what the Bible says and get baptized. And you know what? A lot of people do. And we say, okay, well, you're identifying with Jesus Christ publicly because you're already born again, you've put your faith and trust in him, then we will identify with you corporately. As a local church, we will identify with you. Welcome to the, welcome to the membership of the church. It's really simple. It's not meant to be complicated. Um, many don't grasp the need for believers' baptism and trust in infant sprinkling or heretical baptism regeneration as a valid form of obedience. Um, so we work through those issues as well, that process. And so without a process for receiving members, these things would never be addressed in the life of of the believer. And I'm not just saying that like in hypothetical terms. Everything I'm saying, I have walked through on multiple occasions where I'm meeting people at the door going, "Uh, uh, hey, let's have another meeting. Let's talk about salvation. Or uh, uh, let's let's talk about, this is called baptism regeneration. This is what your church believes, so we're going to have to do this again, you know, uh, so on and so forth. So I've, this, this process works. Why am I concerned about it? Because I want to make sure this body stays pure. Ultimately, it helps all of us because once you get an unregenerate, and I'm sure we have some, and I have no idea who's really saved. Right? You can fake me out all day. So there's probably somebody in our body that's unregenerate. Guarantee you they'll cause problems eventually because they're not saved. Okay, and then the last thing is church discipline. Um, you know, This is perhaps the most practical reason to have church membership process in the local church. Of course, I, before I came here, I've, I've seen the need for church discipline in, other, in my sending church before I came here. So I understood 
I already was noodling on this before I planted a church. How would I handle this, this, that, and the other? And so um, we certainly believe the profession of those who claim to have trusted Christ as Savior, but the New Testament doesn't give license to carnal behavior of the membership of the body. So while there is a lot of long-suffering and grace within the body of Christ, there are limits to the liberty that liberty that becomes license and a reproach not only to the life of the individual but upon the body in the very name of our lord and savior jesus christ Uh, so then these situations arise and unfortunately they do from time to time it's beneficial to the body to have a membership process to be clear that saints are coming into membership and it is this and it is saints uh that if necessary are expelled for and it's saints i'm sorry that, if necessary, are expelled for disciplinary purpose. So, in my estimation, not having local church membership process exposes the body and the name of Jesus Christ to sin that can harm the body and the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So every pastor is free, however, to manage those who he has charged to shepherd in the manner he chooses, as long as it doesn't violate the Scripture. So if you choose to say, oh, you've got to go through 16 lessons of discipleship before you're a member, I personally don't do that. Why? Because the Bible doesn't do that. Jesus didn't say, you know, you got to be fully matured or even very far. You just got to be obedient. So I'm, I'm pretty, you got childlike faith, you trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Hey, then the next, if you're serious first and you've really done that, then, well, baptism is your next first right step. Do that. I don't care if you're in lesson one or lesson 10. It doesn't matter to me. Just make sure you won't get through 16. But you, you definitely need to get that done and, and be obedient. Okay, so church discipline, on the other hand, is about protecting the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ and the body of Christ. And so some of that church discipline, and discipline, by the way, we think of it as you know harsh, is simply teaching, right? I mean, having a, a full body of knowledge is a discipline. So if you know something very well, if you're, if you're an astute engineer, that is your discipline, right? You're a mechanical engineer, so that's his discipline, so on and so forth. A CPA, his discipline is accounting. So they know a lot. Church discipline is about making sure that we keep the body clean. And it's about, also, it does usually become, unfortunately, an example at times of what not to do. So how we handle membership is a matter of preference. I do believe a membership process helps many who are trusting something other than Christ for salvation, uh, or are sincerely saved but have not reckoned with submission issues like believers' baptism. So the word dis- discipline at its core is not just rebuke, it's the root of discipleship as well. And if, if one is not willing or able to submit to believers' baptism, which publicly identifies them with Christ, then the body should not identify with them. And so in some respects, <laughs> it saves you from doing church discipline later. That's happened on multiple occasions. i got a sweet give you a good example of that. There's a sweet couple. Uh, they live now over in um, Peoria, or not Peoria, but Emporia, uh, Emporia in Kansas. And they just celebrated, I don't remember, it's well over a decade now, I think. Maybe, I don't remember how long it was. But <clears throat> this couple, when we met them, we met them door to door over here in South Garden. And I remember, I remember. I think Ray Blowers was with me. And uh, we were out doing door to door one morning. Um, and inviting people to something, and inviting them to Christ. And we meet, meet, I meet her. Husband's not around. As a matter of fact, he's not her husband. See these little kids ro- running around her feet, and uh, and we get to talking. And she's going to whatever university online. Sweetheart, lady, you just tell. Sincere as a heart attack. Start talking, and 
invite them to church. Anyway, make a long story short, they're not, they're not married. I don't remember if they were saved yet. I can't remember. But anyway, they both get saved. Both have a profession of salvation. We meet them where they're at, <clears throat> but we wouldn't let them become members. Because, well, they're not married. And so, uh, and they were super good about working with, it, with that. Eventually, he moved out for a season. I did the wedding right here. We did a wedding. They got married, put the family. The new, uh, oh, the problem was he was married to another. So it wasn't just that they weren't married. He was married to someone else. I forgot that part. So he was legally married to someone else with kids. Oh, no, without kids. Legally married to someone else without children, living with the mom of his own children. So what's that? What's that called? Fornication and adultery. Yeah. <laughs> so, so fornication is broad, and so adultery. But specifically, that, that form of fornication is adultery. So it's not... I don't hate them. I'm not mad at them. I actually am sympathetic. I understand. Meet them where they're at. I don't want to say their names, but I said, "Hey, brother, let's 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 get this thing." She, she doesn't have, she doesn't want to reconcile. Okay, this is this is the family. Why don't you divorce her and take on your family? Now, these are messy things, very messy. And of course, at the time, this wasn't public. So, anyway, make a short story long. Literally, they're like, "That's impossible." She is digging in her hill. She da 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 doesn't want to do that. Da, da, da. And they were not lying. I said, well, let's just pray about it. So we all went to praying. You know what? She says, I'm ready to go. Let's sign off on it. She released him. Uh, he separated for a season uh, and was super sincere about that because they, because they wanted to come together uh, as biblically as they could under the circumstances. Their heart was right, is, the, is what I'm saying. And it was obvious. And so uh, we wed. Uh, they wed. I didn't, but they did. And, uh, and so uh, it was cool because the other day we were on Facebook and I was talking with them, and they were just, they're just doing great. I mean, God's just blessed them, put everything together. Their kids are all grown now. It's just awesome. And so uh, not allowing a membership was not an issue. It would have been to sweep all that under the rug and let them be members. That's crazy. You got to deal with it. What am I going to do? Bring them in and say, "Oh, by the way, you're committing adultery. You're out." <laughs> you know. So you just got to deal with those issues. We live in a messy world right now. And but I tell you what, this is the church of the living God. And not only is it important to Christ's testimony, but it's important to y'all if you're members of this church. I'm, I'm, I take those stands not just for, for the people's sake outside, which I did that in that case for them as well, but also for the body of Christ because it ultimately will spare you difficulty later. And I went. I, these are things I sorted through even when I was discipling people myself. Back many, many years ago when I wasn't a pastor, God put me in several situations where I was like, hold up, I'm, just, I'm discipling this guy. He is, no. He, uh-uh. I'm like calling time out. Don't let him go any further. <laughs> and so a lot of the things I've employed here, I've learned through the school of hard knocks because I've seen people, when you let things go, it comes back and bites you. And so uh, I'm not a super Nazi. If you guys know me, I'm full of grace. I'm not trying to beat up everybody or anything. But you do have to, membership processes is what we're talking about, helps you kind of sort through some of those things. Meet people where they're at so you can get them where they need to go. Because you want to see them in the, the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So when we get back next time, we'll talk about why it's important uh, to attend church, which you guys are doing tonight.
And uh, that'll, that'll wrap us up as we... I will get through this first section uh, next time. And I don't think the others will be so voluminous. So uh, this is just kind of our introductory. Are you guys enjoying this stuff? Okay, because this is the first time through this. And so, um, I mean, it's stuff that we all know, but it, I haven't put it together in this fashion. So I'm, I definitely welcome your feedback. If you do have any questions or anything about what I've said, be, I'm happy to receive those as well. Thank you for those that are online. Uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and we will prepare to depart. Heavenly Father, we thank you.